Dispensing cannabis business knowledge beyond a million square feet of cultivation space, CannabisRadio.com proudly presents Blunt Business, harvested by Strainwise Consulting. Together, we will navigate the challenges and opportunities of one of the most profitable industries on earth. Join us each episode to hear our weekly roundtables and interviews with industry professionals. Now, let's delve into some blunt business with your host. Thank you, listeners. We're glad to have you back for another edition of Blunt Business here on CannabisRadio.com. My next guest is a technologist who has spent the majority of his career getting novel ideas from the whiteboard to reality. He is a cannabis and tech entrepreneur, activist. He's a published author of a new book that just came out late last year called The Highest Common Denominator, Elevating Your Base Self. And I'm here with, again, cannabis slash tech entrepreneur, activist, and author, Roger Abando. Thank you so much for joining us here on Blunt Business. Thanks for having me, Jorge. It's a pleasure. My pleasure as well. So you came into cannabis as a serial entrepreneur with over 20 years of experience in software development and consulting in both the enterprise and startup world. Where did, uh, I know there's a lot of people that have come from tech, making their way into cannabis. Uh, briefly, what brought you, got, what got your inroad in from Silicon Valley to bring you in uh, to companies like Baker and others? Sure. Um, you know, I think the time frame was, is really important to note. I started Baker Technologies with my two co-founders in late 2014. Now this had come after a few years of me already trying to do a few other startups. Uh, you know, I like to refer to those as uh, swings and misses as I think most entrepreneurs have in their past. But, uh, you know, more importantly, my career had been up to that point, as you'd mentioned, 20 years in, in technology development. And I'd done a lot of consulting for many different kinds of companies, everyone from JP Morgan and Deutsche Bank to uh, BMW and way more movie studios than I care to admit. Right. Um, I think what really caused me to join the industry at the time was just this endless stream of imagery that we were seeing coming in from the newly legalized markets in Colorado and Washington of, you know, these endless lines of consumers that were trying to, you know, get into these stores and get the products they're looking for. For any of us who had, who had been involved in technology prior to that, you know, that I look at that and I saw that as a, as an addressable problem. I saw that as an opportunity to enter the space um, and to be able to, to be a part of this industry, which in my mind was, was going to be a rocket ship. And, you know, I think that the last five years of, I've shown that that's the case, uh, despite some stumbles that we've been seeing as of late. Your book is what I want to definitely expand upon and focus on for this interview. Again, it's called The Highest Common Denominator, Elevating oh, Your Base Self. So, obviously, if I need to go look for it, I can always look for it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all major book retailers, I'm sure. You refer to the book as, quote, a testament to rising together, to reaching higher, and to intersecting at the best version of ourselves in service of equality, of opportunity, and of optionality. You also told High Times in a recent article from October 2019 that, quote, the book aims to shed light on why a lack of people of color exists in cannabis and why they should enter now. Expand on that for us a little bit. Sure. Um, you know, let's fast forward a little bit to late 2018 and Baker had been going strong for five years and, and we're coming up to a point where I'm about to exit. Uh, we ended up 
uh, entering a big M&A deal, which resulted in a company now publicly listed in Canada called Tilt Holdings. So I'm staring down the barrel of, you know, you know, this is this this period of my life is coming to an end. What do I want to do next? It was a great period of time when we're seeing a lot of these companies that have been around for a few years starting to get a lot of the recognition that I think they deserve. But as I was looking around the rooms I found myself in, I found very few people of color in senior leadership positions. I think a lot of the stereotypes of, of what you see in a big quote unquote corporate environment is what you were seeing. A, a lot of older Caucasian men. Um, and it really, you know, it struck me that in an industry where I think there's so much opportunity for everyone to be a part of it, especially now in these early days to really get in and establish yourself as someone to be reckoned with in the space, that there weren't more people of color or there weren't more women or there weren't more people who identified as LGBTQ. And, you know, I just wanted to do everything I could to investigate why that might be. And with the book, you know, as, as a person of color, as someone who an, uh, a young entrepreneur might be able to look at and relate to, I felt that I could have a more forward conversation about some cultural issues that I think potentially stand in the way. I think that our communities, we're all very aware of the systemic issues that are there that stand in the way of, of our success. And, and that's why I was so frustrated that in a, in a brand new emerging market there were more people uh you know trying to get involved and, and so i thought that that was a conversation worth having so the idea is and i'm all, and i'm gonna just put it try to put this as best i can and i understand i feel like i try to understand the idea of why there should be this diversity um why we well you know in our society there's a lot of talk about wanting to see more intersectionality more diversity in our culture and also in the same way for business. Uh, I always, I think there's always been the argument about the need for diversity, but it should be based on a merit-based system or a performance-based system, as opposed to being said to how it could be more of a progressive need because this is a progressive space. How do you enter in that? Um, I, I think that uh, I, I agree with the fact uh, with, with the point that you made about needing to have a, a merit-based system. But then again, you know, there, there's no way that we can not bring up the point that our communities of color have been disproportionately affected by the war on drugs for the last, you know, 50, 60 years. So that being said, I think there's a need to identify an opportunity for creating more diversity. Uh, a great example of, of an organization that's doing something like this is a group that I work with here in Los Angeles called uh, the fourth movement and what the fourth movement has done is created a program that on one side of the business is identifying opportunities to raise capital to centralize back office operations to operate uh, along the lines of a you know without it actually being a franchise but the franchise model of being able to optimize operations so that operators of individual storefronts can really focus on on day-to-day -day operations. And they've done that at the same time, creating an incubator program that was only accepting people who qualified as social equity applicants. So, um, you know, qualification was one thing, but then putting individuals through a mentorship and incubator program to identify who had the best chance of success was another instrumental part of the program. And I think for me, you know, that's where I want us to be because we, we definitely want to make sure that we have 
the best representation in the industry possible. And if we get enough people who have demonstrated the ability to be strong operators in this space down the line, that is just going to create more opportunities. One of the things that I spend a lot of time talking about is how I want diversity in all areas of the industry, but I really want to stress how important creating diversity at the top is because as we see time and time again in, in other industries, diversity at the top is what really creates diversity throughout an entire organization and, and in an industry that is so new and it's still emerging. Now is the time for us to get people into those, those senior levels so that we can create more diversity going down the line in the future. Um, here on Pump Business, I mean, since I've been here doing this show for the last uh, year and a half, two years, we have brought on several guests that have talked into individually in the areas of what it is for women to do to get themselves further into the industry when it comes to black, when it comes to Hispanic, and when it comes to LGBTQ. We have focused on those areas here on the program, and I like that you have brought this book because this is a real chance to go ahead and encompass all those discussions. And coming up after the break, I want to take more of a deep dive into what you have talked about here in the book about what is holding back underrepresented communities. And look at the numbers as to how we're seeing this as an actual case and see what is being done about it and really talk more about um, what you try to, what you, what kind of discussion you're trying to get pushed forward uh, here. I'm with, here with Roger Abando, uh, author of the highest common denominator, elevating your base self. I'll be back here with more questions with Roger after a brief message. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more blunt business. The 2020 Benzinga Cannabis Capital Conference in Miami, February 24th and 25th, is the premier gathering of cannabis entrepreneurs and investors in North America. No other conference offers the level of access and seamlessness of interaction between entrepreneurs building future billion-dollar cannabis enterprises and the investors whose capital will make that happen. CannabisRadio.com welcomes listeners to register for the event for 30% off using promo code CannabisRadio at BenzingaCannabisConference.com. The 2020 Benzinga Cannabis Capital Conference in Miami, February 24th and 25th. Register now for 30% off using promo code CannabisRadio at BenzingaCannabisConference.com. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling, with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at S-H-O-O-G-I-E-S dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet, take-anywhere treat. Get paid for your opinions about cannabis. Cannabis Insight Collective pays you when you provide your opinions. It's as easy as one, two, three. One, sign up and answer a quick survey that tells us a little about you. Two, get connected and we'll reach out when there's a good match for you to participate in. Three, inspire and be rewarded. Your opinion matters, so share your opinion with us and receive a reward for your thoughts. Help elevate your favorite brands in the cannabis industry with your input by going to CannabisInsightCollective.com. I hope you didn't forget about us because we're back with Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everyone. I'm here with Roger Obando, cannabis tech entrepreneur, activist, published author of The Highest Common Denominator, Elevating Your Base Self. Go ahead and look for the book. And 
get yourself a copy, whether it's the hardback type, hardback type, the paperback type, or the uh, hardcover paperback. I always forget that. I'm an Audible guy myself. I like reading it, listening yeah. to everything through Audible myself. <laughs> now it's coming soon. It's coming soon. We'll get it out there. <laughs> I hope you're the one that's voicing it. Or if you need somebody, I'm always willing to offer uh, services. Now, Roger, uh, we were talking about those being underrepresented. The um, how the book is aiming to shed a light on why a lack of people of color exists in cannabis, why they should enter now. You wrote in the book about several restraints that you believe that holds back underrepresented communities from entering cannabis. One that can be seen as a gift and the curse is the idea of one's tribe. Let me expand on what you said here. You write that your, your tribe is, quote, that group to which you were born or belong or mirror, at least on the surface, end quote. While pivotal to a person's development, you also go on to highlight how the tribe defines a person, but not entirely. Quote, your tribe is part of you, but you are not your tribe. You also said you are you, and you are capable of defining your own limits. You can, should, and must characterize yourself. I love the way that you put that, because honestly, that's the way I feel. It's, it's I don't know if it's so much where it's, um, where, I mean, like you say, when it comes to being that mentality of a tribe, it's the matter of that everybody can go ahead and overcome whatever kind of social economical position you've come from. We see that all over the board and cannabis should be an industry where that happens. And so the question is about your discussion of tribes and the restraints that they suffer from. Talk to me about this, where you're going with that, that kind of message right there. Sure. Uh, you know, this is something that for me was, was really close to my heart being the son of immigrant parents. And I have known a lot of people in, in the same situation uh, growing up uh, alongside me. And I got to watch what the differences were uh, depending on how these individuals decided to um, incorporate into the new societies they found themselves in. And I think that anyone who has been around immigrants communities uh, can relate when I say that it's, it's easy to understand how someone as an immigrant will want to try to find a community that they can relate to and that they can be a part of, right? And then that becomes your tribe. And then your children are born into that tribe and you're surrounded by these same people who are very likely very like-minded individuals who have agreed upon concepts like community and religion and, and cultural norms, things like that. Now, I think where that becomes uh, an issue is when those norms dictate how uh, an individual should act. And, and this is something that, uh, as again, Latin American in particular, I, I found distressing growing up. I, I found that growing up in New Jersey where I did, there was this uh, immediate acknowledgement of a tribalism and a nationalism that I always thought was very troubling. You know, I, would, I would go back to Costa Rica and I would speak with cousins and you know, there was always some group that they were othering, right? For Costa Ricans, it happens to be Nicaraguans. Um, you know, I, I joke with people that the Nicaraguans are the Mexicans of Costa Rica uh, <laughs> because of the fact that it's, you know, they're, they're claiming the same sort of things. They come, they take the jobs, they work cheaper, they do this, they do that. And, you know, for me, as someone who grew up in the States, I, you know, I couldn't help but look at them and say, but don't you understand that to the rest of the world, you guys look exactly the same. Like this, by, by creating these smaller factions within our community, we're doing nothing to help ourselves move forward. And so, you know, to move that then conversation back to, you know, present day and, and how I see that's an issue, I think that 
there's a lot of issues with immigrant communities in the country where they want to stay insular and they want to stay within their own communities and they have a, a hesitancy to to reach out to other groups and um, if you disagree with the cultural norms, you know, again, in Latin American background, uh, there's an almost uh, overbearing need to respect your elders. And if, you know, unfortunately, that's a, a generation of people who were brought up in an era where there was tons of propaganda around cannabis. And not to mention the fact that you were already on thin ice being an immigrant in this country. So we were taught, especially at least I was that you have to be that much better, that much smarter, work that much harder to just be, you know, accepted as an equal in this, in, in our communities. And, you know, that is, I think, undoubtedly true. Unfortunately, along with that came, you know, this understanding or this, this dictum that, you know, there's absolutely no way that you can be involved with cannabis because you're going to go to jail. Look at what happened to your uncle. Look at what happened to your uh, to your cousin, you don't want to end up like that sort of thing. And that mentality persists in these communities. And it's really unfortunate because I think what's come uh, to the surface is that a lot of these ideas and, and these stereotypes about cannabis, um, they were based in propaganda and they were you know, created specifically to hold a lot of our communities back. And now that there's this opportunity to get into this emerging industry where there's so much opportunity, people are not doing it because of those old stereotypes and the old propaganda. And, you know, in a way, I think there's an opportunity, especially for young, for young entrepreneurs, to stand up and say, well, I respect you and what you came up through and what you had to deal with. But I disagree that it's the actual plant that is the issue. I think it was the regulators. I think it was, uh, you know, the, the people who were trying to hold communities of color back. And I want to be a part of this because... I want to take back some of what was taken away from our communities during all those years of, of uh, prohibition. Not to mention, I mean, for those that had to live through prohibition, you know, you turn it around. You basically say, we're trying to go ahead and do what couldn't have been done before because, you know, we're seeing actual benefits of what we're seeing with the plan. We want to go ahead and turn prohibition around because we want to go and change the course of history. And we want to be a part of that course of change. And we're seeing it happening all over the world. So we want to be a part of that movement. That's what's happening for us. So, you know, there, those days of war drugs are long gone. Those are well past our rear mirror. We don't have anything. We don't feel like that at all. And I understand through the endless how they might feel that way. But, you know, to stay the course and to be persistent in that, the idea is for certain particular um, ethnic groups, or minorities, there's always a thought about these certain areas where you're allowed to go ahead and succeed. But the truth is we want an expansion of other industries for people to go through. There are those absolutely where, you know, if you push yourself hard enough, you can go anywhere you want. The path is wherever you want to lead your path. But it will be also great to create those paths that so many people have gone through that are always givens. So if you want to get into something, you can absolutely go here, whether it's engineering, whether it's uh, medical, whatever it might be. Cannabis should be one of those fields that anybody's able to go and get themselves into. And if it's a one way that you know there's a lot of people that have made paved the forefront to create cannabis to be viable, successful for anybody that wants to get into it because of where people come from, I, I, I can appreciate that kind of sentiment. I want to go and, uh, ask real quick about just the numbers that have been brought up 
And one of the early, latest studies we've seen about the makeup of the cannabis industry uh, in terms of diversity. Now, Marijuana Business Daily did a 2017 study. They said of the current representation of minorities in the cannabis industry, particularly female minorities, is disappointing on a national scale. Of the owners and founders, and this is obviously must have changed in the last three years, but at this of this study, the owners and founders, including growers, processors, and dispensaries, reported more than 80% as white among cannabis industry executives, 5% reported as women of color, 20% of founders and owners reported as minority, 6.7% identified as Hispanic, 4.3% as African American, 7% as other. So I'm hoping it must have made some changes. We just need to see new results coming in. I'm sure somebody's going to be coming in with a new set of results to go ahead and offer to our listeners and to everybody in general. But is it a matter of the lack of training? And this is what I'm going to We've had some guests that talked about that there's been a lack of training, the availability of training, plus, you know, the vocal uh, need of certain people that are in the industry to speak up when they want to move forward. They cannot just be held back and not say anything. That's one of the things we talked with uh, Gene Sullivan, who's with the Arcview Group, mentioning as women, women just need to be much more vocal and they need to be persistent into what they want to do in terms of being an executive regardless. Now, are there factors that affect the diversity or do you feel like more companies should start looking at assembling workforces that quote unquote, I call it checks all the boxes? You know, I mean, I think that's definitely something that's necessary. Companies need to be very aware of any lack of diversity that they have uh, within their walls. And uh, one of the things that I speak about in the book that I, I think is a, a good indicator of how we got to where we're at is that for years there's been this concept and, and, and you know tangentially the, it needs to be said that in a lot of ways the cannabis industry this new emerging legal cannabis industry modeled itself after the tech industry but the, you know dot com so you know a lot of the same norms came to this industry as as it got started started as, as it's been growing and one of those was this concept of a, of a culture fit, right? That as you're growing as an, as an organization and you bring on new individuals, there's a very strong need for there to be a culture, culture fit for these new additions. And I actually challenged that uh, as the person who was really in charge of diversity efforts uh, at Baker and, you know, anywhere that I can, I, I think that a concept of a culture ad is something that we should really be championing as leaders in this space. Now, Roger, let me just ask this. Would it be more important, and this is just in my own opinion, that it's, I mean, when I look at this, it would be that, I I mean, diversity should be made as a representation of the customer base. Would you agree? Um, I don't know if I agree with that 100%. I think diversity should, should be encouraged at all levels of an organization, despite whoever might be the, the end customer. Now, that being said, studies have shown that people across all different uh, racial backgrounds, gender, LGBTQ, I mean, all you know, uh, sexual identities, they all consume at pretty comparable rates. There's no, you know, and, and this is one of the things that is constantly brought up when we're talking about this war on drugs is that people of color were so disproportionately um, imprisoned despite the fact that all parts of society consume cannabis at similar rates. Um, so it, it, that is, you know, 
to answer your question, while I don't think that that's necessarily uh, a main driver, I think if you were to look at it that way, it still would indicate that we need more diversity within in the industry. Um, one of the concepts that I've been speaking about a lot lately, which I think has a lot to do with why there's a lack of, of individuals uh, from these backgrounds that we're talking about in the industry is a lack of access, right? Like one of the, one of the things that a lot of people, uh, people of color will talk about is why people of color have a, a much lower success rate getting capital from venture capitalists and the like. And, you know, a lot of the conversations end up uh, at conclusions uh, about racism and, you know, about kind of, uh, you know, unrealistic stereotypes, et cetera. And while I'm sure there's, there's some aspect of that um, to be blamed, I, I think the problem is actually more of a problem of access, right? Uh, I was very fortunate to, to go to a very good university. I went to Duke University, uh, especially as a son of immigrants who didn't even have a high school education. I felt very, very lucky to be able to get in and, and get a lot of financial aid to get through that my eyes were really opened to what sort of advantages you get from the network of people that you meet at an institution like that. And, you know, the people that I went to school there uh, with are now managing directors, vice presidents at banks across the country. I've got people in high tech. I've got people in healthcare who are just, you know, network connections of mine. And again, if we look back at the issue from a who are the people that you're surrounding yourself with? Who is the tribe that you have access to? If you don't have access to individuals who have access to capital, if you don't have access to individuals who have access to real estate, it makes it very difficult, especially as a startup, to show even just a little bit of traction, right? The, the first phase of fundraising for any startup that has had any sort of success, in my mind, is a friends and family round, right? In order to raise a friends and family around, you have to have friends and family who have money to give you to do this sort of thing. And the communities that we're talking about here have less access to that. You know, if I didn't, I, I didn't have access to people in my network, uh, friends and family, who would be able to write a $100,000 check, right? Fortunately, uh, two of my co-founders did, and we were able to get a lot of the early uh, uh, funding that allowed us to then put our money where our mouth was get something built that could show some traction that could show that we knew what we were talking about and that the concept we had come up with was actually viable. At that point, you go to a venture capitalist and you say, here's what we've done with this money. Now, if you could just write us a check, we'll be able to do X, Y, and Z. It's really a amazing of- just the kind of representation we have just of the business now because of um, the, the kind of, you know, the, the, what this life, the lifestyle that brings into this, the people that are brought into this, because you always thought the cannabis was a very progressive space. But I think one of the things that also has made a change is, you know, the more popular that we get into this environment. And I'm going to ask about this. Out. we got to go another break. We're running out of time. It's going so fast. But I want to ask uh, specifically more about the issues that young entrepreneurs are having in the industry, but I also want to find out, because I feel like the direction that we're going makes it tougher. The fact that we're getting closer to legalization, more corporate types are making their way into the space to help guide the industry as a whole. And I mean, I see where, you know, the opportunities to get that kind of diversity, are, it's going to be a tough way to get that, to, to penetrate the, the industry to come be able to do that because of the way that this industry has evolved so much from when you came into the business to now. I mean, just six years time, here's a significant change. I want to ask about that more coming after the break. I'm here with Roger Bando again. 
He is the author of The Highest Common Denominator, Elevating Your Base Self. Back with final questions after this. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. Doc Rob, the concierge for better living. Cannabis is just one of the many great plants that we have on this planet called Earth that we can use consciously and intelligently to improve our well-being. Take a real, raw, inside look at healthier living while sharing great ideas and improvements for a better quality of life. Learning to live and live well is a lifelong process. This is a journey. It could be you could be 80 years old or eight years old. You can still learn something that's gonna make tomorrow a little bit healthier, a little bit easier, a little bit happier, a little bit better. The concierge for better living with Doc Rob. Only on cannabisradio.com. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. <laughs> they have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart Pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing, healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, Smart Pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart Pots are BPA-free and lead-free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million Smart Pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. The cannabis industry is growing almost as fast as the cannabis and hemp being planted and harvested. Where, when, and how fast will the cannabis and hemp industries continue to climb? Who will be the people leading the charge into that promised land of profit? Let's pursue those answers and more with the Plant Profits. Welcome to another episode of Plant Profits. I am Bert Miller, your host. As you guys know, the purpose of this show is to introduce you to some of the most forward-thinking executives and companies in the cannabis industry. Plant Profits, only on CannabisRadio.com. I hope you didn't forget about us, because we're back with Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. We're back with Roger Bando again, the author of The Highest Common Denominator, Elevating Your Base Self. We've only got a few minutes left, Roger, so I'll get as quickly around can as what we have here. You mentioned, I mentioned a passage from High Times that, that did a profile about you, and the article was called, you, you, you should want more Latin American business leaders in cannabis. So now, in this article, you make mention of the difficulty that you saw young entrepreneurs avoid the cannabis industry, citing the ramifications of the failed drug war as a prime reason. We've talked about it here on the show. Quote, it's due in large part to the fact that most of these young folks were raised in an era where they were raised by single mothers, grandmothers, aunts. And these women were telling them about the evils of cannabis because of the fact their husbands, sons were in prison for nonviolent cannabis crimes. Now, here's the thing is that we're going to have the intersection of large-scale legalization in the United States, whether it's through the States Act or whether a Democratic candidate makes it into office and decides to think of full-scale federal legalization from a federal government standpoint, uh, would that, any other larger sweeping drug reform, would that help quash the war on drugs once and for all? And do you think that's actually going to help or hurt the chance for diversity as you're hoping to push? Well, yeah. 
Yeah, that's a that's a real interesting question, and uh, it's something that I, I spent a lot of time thinking about. Um, I think a push for legalization is going to change a few hearts and minds. And, and I think we, we touched on it just a few minutes ago, talking about how as, as immigrants, uh, there's an especial, there's a, you know, extra desire to stay on the right side of the law because you feel like you're already within the crosshairs a lot of the time. I think legalization will, will help people who have those concerns, but I think you're absolutely right. I think once we get into a full legalization uh, mode here in this country, all of a sudden, a ton of people who haven't been involved in the industry yet because of the fact that they don't have the risk tolerance necessary are going to start flooding in. And a lot of those people are going to come from not the communities that we're talking about here, not the communities of color, the women, uh, the LGBTQ groups. Uh, these are going to be, again, the people who have access to capital, access to a network, access to government bodies that, that we don't have. And so you know, this is why myself and a lot of others who are pushing for diversity in the industry are really trying to make it happen now. Um, you know, really trying to convince people that that now is a time to really jump in with both feet and and cement your position position in the industry because it's going to get nothing but more difficult as legalization happens. Now, do you think that much like other business sectors, do you think it's going to get to be a point where there might be organi organizing unions? Will that be something that you think might have to come down the line to help create that diversity that you're hoping to see? I mean, I think that's already happening. I can't remember which state it was. It's either Michigan or Illinois, I believe, that actually has already started doing uh, unionization of, of cannabis employees. Now, I, I think that for employees at levels of, let's say, trimmers, of retail employees, of employees for distributors, things like that, I think that's something that's very valid to have a conversation about. Um, you know, I'm not going to get into uh, labor unions and the pros and cons of it. No, um, no, I'm just saying that this, it looks like yeah. we're going to go that route because if we're looking to go and get to an area like you're talking about, I think that's where some people think is the next step. I, I, I think that is a big part of it. I think more importantly, though, is, is to incentivize. I, I constantly, for some reason or another, I think of the demographic of Latin American entrepreneurs, I mean, this is a personal topic for me, Latin American entrepreneurs from 25 to 30 are really well positioned right now, having had almost, let's say, a decade uh, of experience working in some field to jump into this field and to be senior leadership. Because once you are in senior leadership, you can then make sure that that is a priority for your organization to continue to diversify. Um, and, and that way we can have it happening from both ends. If you know we have these organizations, which there are some wonderful organizations already in the cannabis industry, um, like uh, Minorities for Medical Marijuana, the Minority Cannabis Business Association. And I want to just make a quick you know, shout out to Shanita Penny. She was just on our plant process program talking just about that. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these, these are organizations that are trying to do this same work, um, you know, granted from a more of a grassroots position. But, uh, you know, as long as we can continue to have to help with those efforts and, and again, getting people like us into these leadership positions are going to do is going to do nothing but help to bring more visibility to those organizations, to give them more funding, to allow them to do what they do very well, while individuals who are in more senior levels can continue to do that from within their own organizations as well. Fantastic. Oh, really, we're just about to run all, all out of time, but I want to just get one last thing in. Website is rogerobando.com, roger, O-B-A-N-D-O.com. Uh, where can listeners find you speaking in the next couple months, uh, down the line? And what is next for you now after this book is all said and done? 
What is next for you business-wise? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So I do have a few uh, speaking engagements coming up. I'm very excited about um, speaking on, uh, on stage with Ricky Williams and a couple other folks at South by Southwest. We're talking about exactly the things we've been talking about here today, creating access for underrepresented groups in the uh, community. I'm also speaking at the iConexion event for the Latin Hub up in Napa. That's a Latin American organization that is, uh, you know, very happily for me, starting to create a lot more cannabis content to try to educate the community uh, about what the opportunities are in the space. Um, and that's in April. Um, you can find me online. Uh, granted, all the social networks, Roger Obando, pretty much across all of them. Um, and as far as what is next for me, that's a great question. You know, it's, it's, an, it's an unfortunate time we're going through in the cannabis industry where we're seeing an enormous market correction. Uh, a lot of irrational investment happened over the last few years, and, and we're seeing a shakeout of that similar to what we saw in 2001 in the dot-com bubble. So for someone who is, you know, my love is tech and cannabis. I want to find that next innovative platform that I can help drive forward. Um, and so I, I advise, I, I have a few companies that I'm working with in that regard, but, uh, honestly, I'm, I'm taking my time and looking around to see what that next innovative company is that could use someone like me to help push them forward. So if you know anybody, send them my way. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, Roger, thank you so much for making time to join us again. Roger Obando, author of the highest common denominator, elevating your base self. That's available at every major bookstore, correct? That is correct. It's available at Amazon.com. You can buy it also directly from my website, rogerobando.com. Excellent. There we go. So thank you, Roger, again, for making time with us. We will continue here on Blunt Business to talk about this conversation. Keep keep the conversation going. And, uh, you know, hopefully if, if anything else comes across, let us know. We'd love to try to bring you on back. Thank you so much, Jorge. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure. And I thank you, listeners, again. Uh, you know, if you have any comments about the episode today, let's definitely go ahead and talk about it. Uh, you can always find download. You can download past episodes of Blunt Business by going to cannabisradio.com. Subscribe to the show. Please rate, review Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Speaker, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Thank you for listening. expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.